It's no secret by now that The Tick is my favorite superhero parody and one of my favorite superheroes, period. He has a language unlike any other. He's incredibly clever and unpredictable. You never know what he's going to do or what he's going to say. The Tick cartoon is, in my opinion, the best of the three versions. It's almost as bizarre as Ben Edlund's original 12 comics, but it has more heart and the Tick's characterization is more consistent than in the comics. During a time where other animated shows like Spider-Man were so overly censored to the point where it hindered storytelling, the Tick feels fresh, unusual, and not at all mainstream. And it's a smarter show than the live-action series, which was somewhat restricted by its sitcom format and its budget, and because it was canceled prematurely, it never saw its full potential. Nearly every episode of the cartoon works. And even the show's more lackluster attempts had their moments of clever dialogue. I don't really care for Devil in Diapers, the episode where Mr. Mental returns disguised as a baby left on the Tick's doorstep, but I can't help but crack up at the documentary the Tick's watching at the beginning with the narrator that says, In the future, one out of every six people will be Abraham Lincoln. Its humor is obviously absurdist, like the Powerpuff Girls, but its satire is more sophisticated. It sneaks a lot of jokes and dialogue that are delivered so straight, you might not catch them the first time around. One of the best things about the show is its ironic lines, like in Ants and Pants, when the Tick yells at his therapist, Captain Sanity, Sanity, you're a madman! And in the Tick versus the Big Nothing, when Arthur says, you know, ever since I got my mind back, I've been doing some thinking. As I mentioned in my review of the two pilots, The Tick has a lot of obvious jabs at specific heroes and villains from mainstream comics, as opposed to The Powerpuff Girls, which parodies superhero properties more generally most of the time. But it also simultaneously provides social commentary, mostly focused on the mundanities of the modern American lifestyle. Like in the comics, the world is saturated with superheroes, and most of them seem to do it because they have nothing better to do, or they can't hold down a real job, or they're just generally really pathetic. Deflator Mouse is obviously a nod to Batman, but he's exactly the opposite of Batman. He's lazy, he refuses to fight crime, he's completely unmotivated. He's a satire on men who are completely focused on their image, the furthest extreme of superficiality. And then you've got American Maid, kind of a cross between Wonder Woman and Captain America. And she's actually a lot like those heroes, totally no-nonsense and a fierce warrior like Wonder Woman and a patriot like Captain America. But she's also satirizing the popular perceptions of women historically in America. And remember, this was 1994, so things have changed even quite a bit since then. She embraces the look of the stereotype, a conservative-looking woman dressed to work in the kitchen whose only weapons are the shoes on her feet, but her attitude is the complete opposite. She's independent, she's more competent than any other hero in the city, and she never, ever relies on men for anything. These observations of superhero parody and social commentary could be made for most of the recurring heroes and even some of the villains in the show, and impressively, a lot of them were created for the series and didn't appear in the comics first, which has proved unfortunate since strange copyright issues prevent anyone, including Ben Edlin, from using these characters anywhere outside of the show. That includes Deflator Mouse, American Maid, Sewer Urchin, and villains like Alcide and the Breadmaster. A lot of the credit for the success of this show should go, of course, to the Tick's creator, Ben Edlund, who was very deeply involved with the show to the point that he completely abandoned the comics and never finished his run. It seems he got his feet wet with those initial issues and really found his groove on the cartoon. He wrote or co-wrote a lot of the best episodes, adapting some of his best comic stories and surpassing those with even better ideas in the TV series. 
I find it interesting how closely it walks the line between cartoon and animated series. It's ridiculous, and there's not always a rhyme or reason to some of its characters or plot points. There's never even an attempt to explain how a man with a chair for a head can talk and eat, or how exactly an inflatable car could really function, or where all the stuff from the Desirovac comes from when you wish for things with it. On the other hand, it does often use real science to solve problems, like the aspirin and the tick versus dinosaur Neil, and it has an excellent sense of continuity. The shows all stand alone, but there's a definite progression. That's somewhat true of the Powerpuff Girls, which I've called a cartoon over an animated series before, but it feels like much more of a priority in The Tick. Don't get me wrong, The Tick is definitely a cartoon, I just think it straddles the line pretty finely. As there are only 36 episodes of this series, I decided to share just my top 8 episodes of this one, and here they are. Number 8 is The Tick vs. Chairface Chippendale. This episode very closely adapts the Chairface story from the comic book, replacing Paul the Samurai with American Maid and including Arthur. Tick and Arthur hadn't met yet at this point in the comics. All the best lines from the comic are here, my favorite being the way Chairface words his master plan when he explains his plot to write his name on the moon. I shall commit the ultimate act of vandalism! And he has this great sob story about how hard it's been living as a freak with a chair for a head. It's not the densest of episodes. The jokes don't fly as rapidly as a lot of the later episodes, and the tone is more like the comics than the rest of the series. It's clearly still trying to get a handle on what exactly it wants to be, and the Tick's characterized more like he is in the comics here, too. He doesn't care about stopping crime as much as he cares about fighting crime. On the other hand, the Dick Tracy-esque atmosphere really works for it, and the parody of pulpish, grotesque freaks all named for their bizarre deformities is spot on. I also never get tired of the idea of the Tick trying to go undercover because he stands out so much. It's used a lot, and it's funny every time, especially here, where, like in the comic, he's wearing a caterer's suit. I think it was a great choice to do this episode second, because it establishes Chairface early so he can be used again and again as the Tick's arch-nemesis, as he really is the Tick's Joker or Lex Luthor, and sets up that sense of continuity that was unusual for shows like this at the time. Chairface gets two and a half letters on the moon, and it'll be forever changed for the rest of the series. While the show hadn't quite found its tone yet, and Townsend Coleman was still playing with what exactly the Tick should sound like, it did lay a lot of groundwork that helped the show find itself relatively quickly. Number seven, The Tick versus The Breadmaster. I think the Breadmaster is one of the best supervillain parodies in The Tick, the standard villain who wants revenge on the institution he had devoted his life to for ruining him, unable to recognize that his situation is really his own fault and that it's his own perverse and dangerous ideas that ruined his career. Usually it's a mad scientist. Green Goblin in the first Spider-Man is kind of characterized that way, as is the Riddler in Batman Forever. Here, instead of mad science, it's mad baking, and we get the Breadmaster, a man who uses his culinary genius to create giant exploding, and sometimes living and breathing baked goods. He's trying to get revenge on the city baking college for expelling him, and the Tick and Arthur follow his trail of bizarre baked goods to stop him from creating a self-baking souffle that will swallow the city whole. This is the first episode I remember being really impressed with for having so many clever ideas and lines packed into one 20-minute episode. We get a great parody of the classic superhero defusing a bomb scene, where the Tick tries to defuse a loaf of bread that's about to get huge, and he resorts to swallowing it. He has to use a rolling pin on himself as it grows inside him. We get some of the Tick's best one-liners. After dealing with the Breadmaster's first bread bomb at the supermarket and finding a second one, the Tick says, wait a minute, I think this is the same guy. At the college, Tick says, not baked goods, professor, baked bads. And when he finally confronts the Breadmaster, he declares, your culinary crime wave is about to crash against the shores of justice. 
The series is also already utilizing some established characters it's already set up, and here it's the human bullet. We get to see the tick fired out of his cannon to create a sonic boom to stop the souffle. Bullet warns that a triple charge would finish a regular human being, and the tick responds with, I'm betting I'm abnormal enough to survive. Breadmaster is expertly voiced here by Roddy McDowell from the original Planet of the Apes, who voiced the Mad Hatter in Batman the Animated Series, and as ridiculous a character as it is, he plays it completely straight, so totally serious about his baking career and the people who ruined him. Without some of these great performances, these outlandish stories would probably have never translated well to the screen. Number 6, The Tick versus The Big Nothing. The Tick in Space is always funny, but this is the one time he gets to deal with extraterrestrial races, parroting all the comic stories where a hero is summoned from Earth to help someone else out in the cosmos fight their battle with them. This episode feels heavily influenced by Douglas Adams, and the whole situation is brilliantly silly. There are two races, the What, who all speak with only one word, What, and they're good and benevolent, but they're a bunch of cowards who have harnessed their fear and use it to fuel their spaceships. They're trying to stop the Haze, an evil race of people who all look just like our who worship nothing and have propaganda like nothing lasts forever and nothing is worth fighting for. And of course they all just say, hey, they're trying to use a black hole to destroy the whole universe. The Wutz go to the Tick for help and kidnap Arthur, thinking he's a hay, and after almost completely sucking Arthur's mind dry, trying to learn his secrets, they finally discover he's not a hay, and the two of them go to the hay mothership to stop them from destroying the universe. Once again, we get another hilarious undercover Tick scene, dressed up in an Arthur suit, and Arthur's reaction is priceless. I love the jabs at UFOlogy, like when the Tick says at the beginning when he's being abducted, I've read about this kind of thing at the checkout counter, and there's a great illustration of the clever way the show engineers some of its jokes. The Tick is trying to scare Arthur to make the ship go faster since it runs on fear and the Wutz aren't afraid anymore now that the Tick is there. So one of the things he says to scare him is no more BLTs! That exact moment the huge scary what that had been torturing Arthur walks in and Arthur freaks out, to which the Tick responds with chill out man, it's just a sandwich. The Hayes have an ultimate weapon called the Infinity Ball, which just looks like an 8-ball turned sideways, and it turns out not to do anything at all. This sets the Tick up for another subtle joke I probably didn't catch the first time. He says, hey, we have those on Earth. We knocked them into pockets with sticks. The what interpreter says, wow, you guys are tough. And then the tick says, yeah, and we have higher numbers, too. Sometimes these episodes end with a somewhat lame joke that just doesn't live up to the rest of the episode, but this one has one of the better payoffs, when the Tick and Arthur are trying to convince the other heroes at the diner that they just saved the Earth from intergalactic annihilation. The Flater Mouse asks if they have proof of any of it, and the Tick just says, well, we're all still here, aren't we? Another thing this show really has going for it is its catchy jazz soundtrack, not just in the theme, but also in the score. And this episode is one of the better examples of a fun, upbeat jazz score. Number five is The Tick vs. The Uncommon Cold. Next to Shareface Chippendale, my favorite Tick villain, without a doubt, has to be Thrackerzog, the evil slime-based dictator from Dimension 14B, who moves in next door to The Tick and Arthur into Apartment 14B. Most of the comedy in this one comes from turning expectations on their heads. Rather than snarling and being gross, Thrackerzog has a soothing British accent, is extremely polite, and seems quite civilized. He's planning to use a clone of Arthur to get a tissue sample of The Tick, so he can clone an arm of ticks and rule the world. Now he doesn't seem especially violent or angry or anything, it's as if that's just his career and he's doing what he's expected to. He's as concerned about good roommate etiquette as he is anything else, and his best moment is when he confronts the guy he lives with after he lets Arthur escape, loosening the ropes when Arthur complained that they were chafing him. He says to his roommate, how many times must I tell you don't 
touch my stuff. This is my side of the living room, and that is your side of the living room. And must you drink straight out of the milk carton? It's disgusting! It's ironic to see a slimy creature so concerned with sanitation when he has a talking tongue constantly going on about wanting to eat people's brains. The Tick is sick this episode and spending all day eating soup and watching daytime television, so the Arthur clone, being unable to cut off the Tick's antennae with a chainsaw while he's taking a nap, takes a Kleenex back to Thrackerzog and he creates a mucus clone of the Tick. Which sounds really gross, and it is, but it's actually done as tastefully as I think it possibly could have been. The entire episode takes place in the Tick's apartment building and on the roof of the building, and I love that because it's one of the bigger bad guy plots in the whole show. Every plot point centers around dull, day-to-day -day apartment living. All Arthur has to do while the Tick is fighting Mucus Tick is to suck Thrackerzog back into his own dimension with his portal device, and he keeps having to run up and down stairs, first to get a longer extension cord, and then to get an adapter. It's hilarious. It's also a lot of fun watching the Tick, this seven-foot-tall, nine-vulnerable superhero, sick with a cold and acting like a total baby about it. Considering all the first-season villains who return for a second or even a third time, it's a shame Thrackerzog never came back. His banter with the Tick, especially at the end when they're calling each other names, is priceless. Number four is the Tick versus Arthur's bank account. Arthur quit his job as an accountant, and the Tick doesn't make any money, so how do these two make their rent every month? Who knows? But the Tick suddenly buying up every random crime-fighting gadget he can get his hands on with Arthur's credit cards makes their financial situation way worse. Plus, most of these things aren't even kind of helpful in the fight against evil. After repeatedly telling the Tick to quit buying secret message cannons and Tick signals, the Tick injures Arthur with his grappling apparatus and then blows up part of the apartment with his crime lab, so Arthur kicks him out. As Tick puts it, he sidekicks him out. And the Tick sulks up in his newly built crime tower, singing the one musical number he has in the whole series, When No One Understands You. Meanwhile, the famous and elderly terror plans to take over the city with his band of bad guys, including the man-eating cow, a Joseph Stalin look-alike, Toon Law, not of this earth, and my very favorite, the human ton, and his little friend Handy, a nice homage to Scarface and other evil dummy characters. This is one of those nonsensical jokes that's funnier the less sense it makes. Handy seems to be a completely separate entity from the human ton, a book-smart, sarcastic puppet who constantly yells at the ton for not knowing anything, like when he misquotes Handy and says, your tick won't come, he's sulking in his tent like a guy from Chile, and Handy says, don't you mean Achilles? You're making us look like jerks. Read a book! Arthur and American Maid try to stop them on their own when they take over City Hall after hearing that the Tick's taken himself out of commission, and the Tick finally shows up to save the day after Arthur uses his Tick signal to summon him, and then they make up in the end. I like that even though the Tick has to give up all of his equipment, there's a little grain in truth in what he wants, though he doesn't go about it the right way or even for the right reasons. The Tick and Arthur really are kind of pathetic superheroes. They have no money, they have no car, they only know about crime from the news or when they stumble on it, and if it wasn't for the Tick, Tick's nine vulnerability, they'd be about as pointless as most of the heroes in the city, even with Arthur's smarts and common sense. This seems like more of a lesson for Arthur, really, than the Tick, who's a character you really can't change no matter how hard you try because he's a borderline nutcase, but a lovable and reliable borderline nutcase. The revised history with a Golden Age comic twist is some of what Edlin does best, with the terror palling around with Stalin and punching out President Roosevelt. The terror himself is funnier in concept than execution here, more comedy mileage comes out of the human ton and handy, but the terror gets more to do in a second season sequel, Grandpa Wore Tights, which very nearly made my list. This is also the episode where the Tick comes up with his famous battle cry, Spoon. I have to mention a weird
weird mistake that always makes me laugh. The Tick shows up at City Hall and yells his battle cry, and then after the commercial break, he's suddenly wearing his grappling hook apparatus. <laughs> Did they think nobody would notice? Number three is Alone Together. This episode is the one that most directly makes fun of a specific Marvel property in its very premise, and then it uses that to make fun of a DC property. In another cool bit of continuity, the equivalent of NASA sends the Tick to the moon to fix Chairface's letters, and he accidentally blows himself into space with TNT, where he runs into omnipotus, devourer of worlds. He's Galactus, except that he literally eats planets, grabbing them with both hands and taking a big bite. And there's a great perspective joke where, instead of his feet just looking small because he's always seen at an angle, they really are that small and he can't reach them. Like Silver Surfer, Tick becomes his herald, but he doesn't look for planets suitable for eating, he just is his janitor, riding around his body, cleaning up after him. They become friends before Tick realizes omnipotus wants to eat Earth, not just return Tick there, so he tries to stop him by, as the Tick puts it, appealing to his human side. Finally, he agrees to be Omnipotus's friend if he quits eating Earth, because Omnipotus is really lonely and decides, quote, Perhaps not eating people is the first step toward making friends. He's probably my favorite parody character in the whole show. I was really surprised they took advantage of this perfect opportunity to spoof the death of Superman, which had just happened a couple of years before this. Everyone assumes the Tick is dead, so Mayor Blank unveils a statue in his honor, and everyone wears blue armbands like the black armbands the heroes were wearing in Funeral for a Friend. Arthur's subplot explores what a sidekick might do if a superhero died, something that doesn't happen very often in mainstream comics, so he tries his hand at being Deflator Mouse's sidekick, which doesn't work out because even when they're around when crimes happen, Deflator Mouse refuses to do anything about it, and fighting with Human Bullet is too dangerous. And he's not really cut out for solo work, as he's really no match by himself, for the whirling Scottish devil. So he's overjoyed when the Tick turns out not to be dead, only to find that the Tick brought back with him a being that might eat the whole planet. You've got to wonder at this point if you made the right choice for your best friend. At the end, the Tick allows Omnipotus to take a bite out of the moon to tide him over, saying no one really lives up there, and now with the sea gone, it says ha, with a big bite taken out of it that looks that way for the rest of the series. The theme of this episode is friendship, but it's less about showing the strength of the bond of friendship, and more about showing the awkwardness of having to be somebody's friend you really don't like, and this is the most extreme example of being forced to use someone you don't want to be friends with to get something you need. Number two, The Tick versus Science. This one plays like an exercise in seeing how fresh and unusual it can make a pretty standard sci-fi or fantasy premise. Characters switching minds with each other. Rather than using a lot of the supporting heroes, this premise is used at a mad science fair. And they should get their own science fair, considering that villains get their own annual award ceremony as seen in Armless but Not Harmless. And a really bizarre assortment of minds are all switched with each other, and several times. We get to see the Tick and Arthur switch bodies, Tick as a zebra, Arthur as Dr. Mung Mung's weird experiment, Tongue tongue, and even Chairface Chippendale is the tick. It's a very dense episode, filled with some great gags that really milk this mad science fair idea for all it's worth, like room temperature fire, to which Tick reacts with, what's the point? And can man the man in a can, a bodybuilder in a spray bottle that does all your lifting for you. It also weaves in a lot of continuity that's been building through the series, as this is just three away from the end, with Arthur dating Carmelita and trying to decide whether it's time to kiss her yet. That comes off as charming when it could have seemed typical and irritating, and it's a good way to continue the thread of Arthur still wanting a regular life, even as he fights that with the chaotic superhero lifestyle he's chosen. Professor Chromedome is a villain we've seen in the background before, but here he gets 
fleshed out a little and is kind of the big bad guy for this one, although he's mostly doing Chairface's bidding. He says he boycotts the fair because all the mad scientists have become, quote, a bunch of hippies, and he has one of my favorite lines in the entire series, what good is science if no one gets hurt? But Chairface makes him go to the fair and steal the mind-switching device and ultimately uses it to steal the tick's body. Chrome Dome ends up in Chairface's body and freaks out, yelling, how am I even talking? It's a great note for Chairface to go out on, this being his last appearance, and it's really impressive how many hilarious ideas and lines of dialogue are packed into 20 minutes. And finally, number one is The Tick versus The Tick. There are three episodes that adapt comic stories directly, and all three are on this list. The other two are The Tick vs. Chairface Chippendale and The Tick vs. Arthur's Bank Account, although that one borrows the terror and a modified version of his gang, but not really the story from that comic, because in the comics, that story is more about Barry and The Tick and directly follows the events of this story, oddly enough. The Tick vs. The Tick takes the Comic Club episode from the comics and actually improves on it. Barry himself isn't nearly as interesting, and we don't have the time to deal with what losing his name does to him, unfortunately. He really should have had a follow-up. But everything else is here. The sidekick lounge with the sidekicks who were all disenfranchised with their lot in life, and the Tick fighting Barry for the right to be called the Tick. Here, Barry's not actually a superhero, though still rich like he was in the comics. Here he just wants everyone to think he's a superhero, and his uncle owns the club, so he gets to go there whenever he wants. The Tick and Barry's banter is the best in the series. When Barry says, you're no match for the Tick, the Tick says, Barry, you're going to have to start making some sense. And later, when Barry has the Tick pinned under his super shield, he tells the Tick to say uncle, and the Tick says, okay, uncle. Where I think the episode really improves on the comics is in adding a villain, the evil midnight bomber, what bombs at midnight, a schizophrenic guy who wants to blow up the comic club just to be known as a great supervillain, and he can't stop talking to himself and constantly reiterating his own origin, which is completely incoherent, and we never really know much about him at all. He always says, and he says to me, followed by some advice about being a supervillain. But we never know who he is or why he's helping the bomber become a bad guy. I always suspected that the he was really just a voice in the bomber's head. But this he apparently gave him all of his ideas. You need a gimmick, blow up the comic club, you'll go down in supervillain history. You have to watch it for yourself to really get how hilarious he is. But he basically comes off as a psychotic muppet with brain damage. When he sneaks into the bathroom at the club and meets Arthur, he tries to say that he's just a retired insurance adjuster or something, but he can't help but scream his own name again and how great he thinks evil is. And I love the overkill. He puts like 50 bombs all over the walls and these air quote superheroes don't even notice. The other great addition to the comic story is the doorman, but men call me Jim. He has the most useless superpower ever if he was a crime fighter. He can send sidekicks, but apparently not supervillains. So when Arthur goes into the club to stop the villain, he's stopped by the doorman, who says, Sidekick, stay in the sidekick lounge. He doesn't believe Arthur when he says there's a supervillain, and he's that typical oblivious peon who takes his job way too seriously. What really makes this episode great is the absurdity of the superhero lifestyle. There are so many of them that they have their own nightclub, and they even have to have legal identification. All you apparently need to be considered a superhero is a costume and a gimmick, because with this many superheroes around, it really shouldn't have taken the tick to stop the evil Midnight Bomber. And there's so many of them that some of them even try to use the same name. Well, there you have it, my top Top 8 Animated Tick Episodes. I had hoped to do a review of the live-action series this month, but I didn't have a chance to get to it, so expect that sometime down the line. Who knows? Maybe Tick Month will return again next year. I hope everyone has enjoyed Tick Month and found the videos fun and or informative. Join me next time on Superhero Rewind for a review of The Incredible Hulk. Bye -bye.